0: Hey, this is Dead Air Radio. This is a Grateful Dead radio program that broadcasts on 70 radio stations across the globe. This is where we get into Grateful Dead recordings, uh, the official releases. We are going to shift gears up just a little bit for this little feature. Uh, This comes from a favor from a guy that uh, I knew I was going to do it. I'd do anything for this guy. This is a dude that I uh, definitely admire.
1: My name is Dennis McNally. I used to be the Grateful Dead's publicist and their historian. I started working on as the historian in 1980, was the publicist until Jerry died, and then for Grateful Dead Productions until 2004, and then for uh, Bob Weir and Rat Dog for another four years.
0: I had the opportunity to chat with him on the telephone, exchange some emails, also got to interview him for the uh, program. Uh, really cool whenever uh, Dennis McNally starts throwing down these really cool Grateful Dead stories.
1: I have one thing that has no intrinsic value, that I cherish, as more for its humor than anything else, that uh, that will never give away. I will give it to my grandsons. And that is, when the Grateful Dead were going to go out on tour with, uh, with Bob Dylan and Tom Petty in 1986, I drafted a press release. Jerry was sitting in the kitchen at the Grateful Dead office, as he frequently did, having a cup of coffee, and everybody would He'd sit there, and, and word would go through the building, ah, Jerry's here, and then everybody who had needed him to sign off on something or whatever would come trooping down to the kitchen and show him their business. I gave him uh, a draft of the, of the press release and said, you know, what do you think? He said, it looks good. And for whatever reason, he was feeling goofy that day. He, for a second, pretended that he was a corporate executive, and he scribbled on it, OK, JG and handed it back to me. Now, in 11 years of working for him, (laughs) I assure you that's the only time he ever did such a thing. Um, This is just not his style. Well, you can guess I have kept that piece of paper and and will continue
0: to do that. Which is kind of strange, because whenever I get a press release from Dennis McNally, I somehow always keep it and collect them as well. It's kind of weird, but yeah, the guy is still kicking out press releases.
1: I don't really have a title. I'm a I'm a freelance publicist at the moment.
0: He's still keeping himself uh, fairly busy. Uh, not too long ago, I got a press release in the mail about a band that's coming out with some new music.
2: It's an honor for him to even be interested in us. <laughs> I think it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. great. He's, he's a great guy, and he's very smart. It's nice that he likes our music. It's it's a real compliment to us that, we, that we're taking it that way.
0: Not only did Dennis set me up with one interview, but he also set me up with two. Plus, we did it all at the same time, which kind of goes back to Dennis's superhero powers when it comes to public relations.
2: Yes. Are you there? I'm here. Corey, are you there? I'm here. I'm just, uh, maybe I'm too old, but it's just technology amazes me sometimes. (laughs) Right? Incredible
0: stuff, man. This is uh, high tech, all all three of us on a phone line.
2: (laughs) I, I I guess so, yeah.
0: Alright, and let's go ahead and now that our minds are blown with technology, let's go ahead and blow our minds with some music.
2: I'm John Ryder, the bassist for Max Creek, and I'm Mark Mercier, keyboardist.
0: The boys in Max Creek have a new live album out titled 45 and Live. Life will on.
2: How many live shows was it, John? Probably about six or seven live shows that we recorded. In 2016, yeah. In 2016. And uh, called a bunch of material from each of those shows and uh, tried to turn it into a a unified product, which was interesting. But each song is probably from a different setting, or some of them are from different settings from each other.
0: Going back to the beginning, John Ryder, he helped form Matt's Creek back in 1971.
2: Really, it got to the point... After twenty years or so, where we couldn't imagine doing anything else or being a part, you know, uh, part of another band, um, uh, other than have them as side projects, and uh, but this is this is what we come home to all the time.
0: The vision wasn't just being a band that knocked out killer jams, but kind of forming a community. Their location definitely helped with the band booking gigs and fans who would go on the road to see shows. Everything is
2: close to each other out here in New England. So, I mean, to, to drive from here to New York is only two hours and we're in Connecticut. So, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted to follow a band around to a bunch of shows, you, you could do that and not necessarily have to live in your car.
0: Putting it into perspective, you got to remember that this is sort of the Wild West of the jam band era. Max Creek was part of those pioneering times.
3: It was sort of hard to arrive at even the thought that we were a jam band. We were just a product of the early 70s, of country rock kind of thing that later turned psychedelic, and eventually people started calling that a jam band and we were a combination of anything from jazz to country to heavy metal even
0: Just like how it's common nowadays in the jam band scene to find a group of misfits that can't quite fit in. It was the same recipe, Frankenstein recipe set up for Max Creek.
3: Mark and I were classically trained at Hart College of Music. In fact, we were
2: roommates there. I think the cool thing is that each one of us brings something different to the table. So as far as defining a sound, uh, I, the only thing I can say is just us. And it changes, actually, you know, depending on what it is that we bring in and what it is that we would like to do, but also from night to night. I mean, some nights we'll go in and we'll feeling more jazz. So we do a lot of free improvs, and uh, the improvisations will be more jazzy. Some nights we'll go in and and it'll have more of a country flavor. So, But, I mean, the only thing I can say is it's uniquely Max Creek.
0: uniquely max creek as it is that diversity is reflected on their fan base
2: anywhere from kids that come in at 18 years old to uh we have one 74 year old uh, ed hall <laughs> oh, kind yeah. of famous yeah. right now but i mean we have people in their 50s and 60s who are bringing their kids and grandkids to shows it's a rejuvenating situation
0: yeah besides you gotta love a band who loves their fans we allow people to come in and break their decks and, and do some live taping. So going back maybe 20, maybe 35 years ago, you would think that this band would do one of two things. One, they could just break up.
3: Sometimes we didn't get along, but we were all, uh, you know, willing to compromise and then it all came together on stage. And so, uh, even if there were disagreements, um, The stage thing just sort of negated the disagreement.
2: Yeah, Um, there's there's a certain amount of intentional sublimation going on there too. (laughs) It's just we uh, we you know you get angry with one person, you talk about that person with the other person, but everyone knows that uh, that the bottom line is is that uh, you know we all love each other.
0: As most bands, one can imagine that uh, yeah, breaking up is definitely a possibility the other possibility a lot more narrow of a path would be quote making it by finding major commercial success driving fancy cars that they can crash on their way to rehab have like supermodel girlfriends that they can cheat on and new ways to go bankrupt after making millions of dollars but maybe that wasn't max creek's intention
2: <laughs> we, we were never intentionally. Yeah, we were never intentionally not bigger. We always, we always really wanted to be.
3: We were all running around all over the place during the seventies and eighties, and then all of a sudden, we decided to uh, settle down somewhat. So. Yeah.
2: Interesting, though, John, I remember saying, I think it was back in the 80s, says, I don't care if we ever make it as long as we wind up being like classics. And it's like, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Yeah. No, we would we would have loved to have gone national.
0: You guys pack these venues. I mean, it seems like you guys can play every night of the week in, in your guys's home state, and people will show up, and it will be different people each night. Yeah. And and there's almost a buzz. I mean, it's almost like you guys are one of those best kept secrets in the music no. industry. <laughs> no.
3: That we are.
2: Yeah. We are. <laughs> I'm not sure. Every time, you see, every time you see that term applied to like a restaurant, you know that nobody's going there. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, it, it, you know, there are a lot of people who really enjoy the intimacy of us being able to go out and say hi to everyone personally. So if we were to, you know, there are a lot of people who were really glad we didn't, you know, start to get crowds of like thousands and thousands of people. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, boy, that sure would be
0: nice. See, that's when it was more than just their live at 45 GM sessions that blew my mind about these guys. Talking with them was really chill. Honestly, throwing out a question out there like that uh, is pretty. Pretty ballsy Uh, You know Saying something like Oh you guys didn't make it They could have hung up on me And I would have Totally understood it But at the same time They weren't bitter about Where they were In the eyes of Quote Mainstream success In that last clip Mark Mercier Says something And it can easily Be skipped over But I think it's really key
2: You know There are a lot of people Who really enjoy The intimacy Of us being able To go out And say hi To everyone personally
0: Going back to the fans That you have now I mean you got a, a, A pretty loyal following you got the Max Creekers, and then you also have Camp
2: Creek. That, incidentally, was at least out here in New England. I can't speak for the rest of the country, but that was the uh, the very first camping festival uh, ever. It was Camp in New Creek. England. In, in New England. 1983.
3: Yeah.
0: So they set up this festival, and in true jam band festival style, they host it.
2: The cool thing about hosting your own festival is you get to be the star.
0: Also, some other perks of hosting your own festival—you
2: get to choose stylistically where you want to head for a particular event. So, you know, one Camp Creek will be more New Orleans, and one Camp Creek will be more uh, jam bandish. And
0: this idea of the inmates taking over the asylum was definitely a highlight, which was shining bright throughout the jam band land. Finally, other groups started taking notes on Max Creek.
2: All the other bands that are out there that are jam bands started holding their own festivals. They, they, I mean, I don't know whether they tapped into what we were doing, but everyone certainly started to see the benefit of holding hosting their own festival.
0: And with that, the beautiful jam band cross-pollination began. For good or ill, we're part of history. <laughs> yeah.
3: that shut the door.
2: We were influenced by and, and have
0: influenced a lot of jam bands out there. You guys have these run-ins. It's almost like you guys are acknowledged with, A, your crowd, and then also, B, like, a lot of Grateful Dead past members or former members of the Grateful Dead, and you mentioned Fish have given you love and respect.
3: And the band, Rick Danko, Leon Helm. We
2: actually hooked up with Widespread Panic for a while.
3: Uh, you know, They've been uh, yeah. great to us.
2: I actually tried out for Phil and Friends uh, with Scott, the guitar player.
3: In the 80s, Yorma from Hot Tuna would climb on stage with us uh, several times. Then Yorma and Rick Danko climbed on stage
2: with us. Fish used to come hear us all the time before they um, became big. We were pretty good friends with those guys.
3: People showed some respect for us, and it it was great.
0: What were some of the bands that would come into your guys' festival?
2: Oh, geez. We've had David Crosby... We've had uh, some members of uh, Talking Heads. We had Railroad, did we have Railroad Earth? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, a lot of the jam bands, uh, before they were before they were big, they would come and play Camp Creek. Uh, you know, there's almost too many to remember.
3: Mike yeah. Gordon would always come in and sit in with sweet we du- do dueling basses.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, Derek Trucks. We had the la- uh, one three or four years ago, we had Paul Barrere and Fred Tackett. Just, uh, just Just some spectacular musicians. Dirty Dozen Brass Band. We had those guys once, and had radiators and some of the New Orleans guys. Uh, Ryan Montblue is is kind of like puts in an annual appearance. So it's just it's great to actually spend time with all these musicians. if you're around long enough and you know enough people longevity has its benefits
0: it wasn't uncommon to see the band tour inside their close proximity community but it wasn't common to find their albums on store shelves
2: we had come out with probably about seven or eight albums you know limited pressings we have some vinyl we have some cds and they were all kind of like released within our, the realms of our clientele. But, uh, um, you know, it took a while for them to uh, to make their way across the country.
3: Well, Windows was on Relic's record. That, that uh, you know, was definitely a national release.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: As with any band that marches at their own beat, the latest album is their first release since 2000. A lot of this silence is from the person who supplies the beat. That would be the drummer, but it was a bunch of drummers.
2: We uh, have kind of a hot seat in the band, which is the the drummer's seat. And we've gone through three or four drummers.
0: However, it was a drummer who got the guys to put music on an album. And our most recent drummer,
2: uh, Bill Carbone, who incidentally wasn't born when the band was founded <laughs> came in with a bunch of energy behind him and uh, he was very pleased to be part of the band and really wanted to do a huge amount of contribution to the whole thing so he wanted to uh, to spearhead having an album come out and uh, by God he took the reins and he, uh, he did it.
0: what's the future hold for Max Creek? What are you guys, you guys got another album coming out? We have to wait another 19 years or, uh...
3: <laughs> <laughs> hope not. Well, <laughs> no, I, we are talking and, um, uh,
2: working with a studio on a, a studio album. Yeah. I think that would be, that would be an important future. Another thing is though, that we will be releasing is, um, we had someone come in and, and do some uh, matrix mixes of some board tapes back in the what 80s and 90s and they're they're immaculate they're just absolutely spectacular so we're going to be releasing those too as well yeah.
0: Thanks to John Ryder and Mark Mercier for uh, catching us up with what's going on with Max Creek. Their latest live album is titled 45 and Alive. You can get more information at the band's official website, maxcreek.com.